Welcome back to Kitchen Chemistry, our series that breaks down common ingredients in our diet. This week, we're talking all about one particular sugar alternative called aspartame. Artificial sweeteners have been around for more than 100 years, and there are currently six approved by the FDA. When consumed, aspartame reacts much differently in our bodies than normal sugar. Dr. John Stephen Piper, a professor of nutritional sciences and medicine at the University of Toronto, says it's rapidly digested into its main components of aspartic acid, phenylalanine, and methanol. So the amino acids, phenylalanine, aspartic acid, those would occur in any protein food and even some carbohydrate foods that have protein in them. And then methanol, for example, can be in fruit and fruit juices as part of the normal sort of fermentation of fruit. The amounts of those are very small amounts because it only requires milligram amounts of sweetener of aspartame to sweeten at the same level as sucrose, about 200 times as sweet. So you don't need nearly as much. So this is milligram amounts, very small amounts, much less than you would get in your normal background diet in terms of all of those components. The components are absorbed and used for various needs like energy and protein production. In terms of their effects on pulse prandial glucose, they have no effect. They don't raise your blood sugar level, and they don't have any effects on any of the hormones and metabolic responses that would affect food intake regulation and glucose control. So they don't really have an effect on any of those things, but they do elicit a sweet taste. Natural sugar, on the other hand, has the opposite effect. It raises blood sugar levels and requires a much higher concentration to achieve the same sweet taste. It's about 40 grams almost in a can of soda, for example. So in much higher versus the milligram amounts of the sweetener, it would raise your blood glucose levels and it would absolutely elicit an insulin response and responses in a number of hormones related to food intake regulation and glucose control. Meaning that you may feel hungrier after eating sugar rather than satisfied from the meal. However, there's been some public debates on whether aspartame is too good to be true. Even with FDA approval, people have wondered if the sugar substitute contributes to conditions like diabetes and even cancer. Recently, the health impacts of aspartame were assessed by the World Health Organization, the Food and Agriculture Organization, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, and the Joint Expert Committee on Food Additives. Dr. Danielle Wyckoff says some of these groups are similar to the FDA, existing only to evaluate food safety ingredients. Their new reports back up the FDA's decision that aspartame is safe for consumption. The safety of aspartame as a food ingredient was reaffirmed. So this means that globally, regulatory agencies charged with evaluating food safety continue to be consistent in supporting the safety of aspartame as a food ingredient. In fact, more than 20 countries have come out with statements since the release of those reports essentially reaffirming its safety. Wyckoff is a principal scientist at Tox Strategies. She says the International Agency for Research on Cancer, or IARC, only analyzed data related to cancer to see if aspartame is a carcinogen. They decided to categorize aspartame as possibly carcinogenic to humans. This is just a category, this phrase possible is a category that they use. And, you know, even IARC has explained that does not mean there's a specific link. That's also something that the FDA has really come out with, for example, on their website, explaining that this category doesn't mean that there's a link. And the way that IARC has described it is that it's a potential call for more research, but that this category itself does not mean that there's a link. Some other agents that have this classification are aloe vera extract and a semi-permanent hair dye formula. In fact, aspartame may be more beneficial than you thought. 
Stephen Piper says his research on the sugar substitute shows great results, including reductions in obesity, coronary heart disease, and cardiovascular mortality. We did a series of commissioned reviews for the update of the European Association of Study Diabetes Guidelines, and we showed that when you look specifically at that substitution, a low and no calorie sweetened beverage where aspartame would be the most common sweetener, usually combined with ACE-K, they usually use blends, that when you look at beverages sweetened by sweeteners, displacing calories from sugar sweetened beverages and their intended use, you do see a reduction in weight, you see a reduction in liver fat and other markers of adiposity, and it, you see reductions similar to what you would expect to see or you do see with water. Water is the ideal drink for our health, so for beverages with aspartame able to mimic some of those properties is astonishing. So if all of these reports say that aspartame is safe, why do many people think it contributes to weight gain, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease? Stephen Piper says a lot of that skepticism comes from observational studies that have a high risk of an incident called reverse causality which basically means people may be taking these sweeteners because they're at high risk. So it's not that these sweeteners are causing diabetes or obesity or cardiovascular disease. It's because you're at high risk for those conditions that you're taking it as a weight loss strategy, for example, way to manage your calories, way to reduce your risk for diabetes. As a result, you are at higher risk in that group. So you're going to see a higher signal, more diabetes, more cardiovascular disease, not because it's causing those things, but because you have that risk it's causing you to consume those things. In short, researchers may be drawing the wrong conclusions from the populations they observe. However, Stephen Piper says there is a way to find out the truth. Instead of an observational study, conduct a randomized trial that substitutes the participants' normal sugar intake for products that use aspartame. And when you do that, you do actually the intended benefits. It agrees very well with the randomized trial evidence, which gives us the best protection against bias where we randomize groups. Here, what we actually see is associated reductions in obesity, reductions in coronary heart disease, cardiovascular disease, and even the big one, all-cause mortality. So they do work in that intended use, which I think is important because that's, I think, the way that they're being used and we need to think of them in that way. But should we be interchanging all of our water consumption for diet sodas? The physiology actually is very similar in that neither one's going to raise your blood glucose, neither one's going to affect hormones that affect food intake regulation or glucose control. So that's true. When we compare those head to head, even those acute responses, it does behave the same. Of course, the diet beverage that you're going to be consuming has a lot of other things in it. Which means that we can't go too crazy and fill our diets full of aspartame products. Diet sodas may be a better option than their sugary counterparts, but the added ingredients like colors and flavorings play a factor in our health too. A safe amount to consume, confirmed by the new WHO reports, is 40 milligrams per kilogram body weight per day. It's kind of a technical metric, but the idea is that depending on your body weight, essentially you could have more aspartame because it's a body weight adjusted. If you ingest more than the recommended amount, Wyckoff says there's some built-in cushion before it becomes unsafe. It's not even a threshold for effects, for example. It's just a safety level. The way it gets set is that the experimental animal studies that we use to set that level, they use very, very high doses. And those doses are much, much higher than where that acceptable intake is. So you actually look at the level in these controlled exposure studies that have no effects, and then you add safety factors to that. Additionally, Stephen Piper says that the rigorous evaluation of aspartame over the last 40 years should be reassuring to consumers. I think we can all be confident that they're safe.
The next question is, well, if they're safe, then do they do what we hope that they would do? Then if I'm trying to reduce my calories to manage my weight, you know, achieve my weight goals, that's the next question, the intended, do they have the intended benefits? So when we look at that from the standpoint of, let's say, a diabetes guideline as we did or others, we see, yes, when they're displacing calories from sugar, so we're not saying on their own, when we look at them in that context, which is the way I think the consumers are making their decisions and patients are making their decisions, then we do see the benefits that you'd expect to see, reductions in weight, reductions in fatty liver, other cardiometabolic risk factors, as we call them, established risk factors. And though science is always gaining new information, we now have international confirmation on the safety and efficacy of aspartame. You can find more information about Dr. John Stephen Piper, Dr. Danielle Wyckoff, and all of our guests on our website, radiohealthjournal.org. For more behind the scenes, follow Radio Health Journal on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our writer-producer is Kristen Farah. Our production manager is Jason Dickey. I'm Nancy Benson. Coming up next week on Radio Health Journal. If you consider like what is natural, natural would have been never inventing fire, never leaving Africa, never getting in a plane. And we're really fine with all those things. Have we cheated natural selection? Then are your clothes poisoning you? There was shoe blacking that would poison people within a few hours when they put it on their shoes and then went out dancing in them. So we've been doing this for quite some time. All that and more on Radio Health Journal. I'm Elizabeth Westfield, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy listening to Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show, Viewpoints, which covers a wide array of topics from education to history to the environment. Here's a preview of what they're covering this week on Viewpoints. It not only can show you what it looks like, it also simulates a fit. So if it's something that's too small, which is usually problematic, you can see that it doesn't fit on your face. How AI is shaking up what's capable when you buy online, then. You're also owed that money. People are watching your show, watching your show, and the studios are making that money, the CEOs are making that money. Hollywood is back in action post-pandemic. So why are so many screenwriters just scraping by? I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. And that's Radio Health Journal for this week. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more. And check Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify for a library of past programs. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and information about our guests at RadioHealthJournal.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Radio Health Journal.